Hello, and welcome to Bominable Bominations. I'm your host, Thomas, and this is the place for serialization of turn of the 20th century horror and discussion of other such topics. Welcome back to our ongoing serialization of The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson. 20. The Celestial Globes For a while, many thoughts crowded my mind so that I was unable to do aught save stare blindly before me. I seemed whelmed in a sea of doubt and wonder and sorrowful remembrance. It was later that I came out of my bewilderment. I looked about dazedly. Thus I saw so extraordinary a sight that, for a while, I could scarcely believe I was still not wrapped in the visionary tumult of my own thoughts. Out of the reigning green had grown a boundless river of softly shimmering globes, each one enfolded in a wondrous fleece of pure cloud. They reached both above and below me to an unknown distance, and not only hid the shining of the green sun, but supplied, in place thereof, a tender glow of light that suffused itself around me like unto nothing I had ever seen before or since. In a little, I noticed that there was about these spheres a sort of transparency, almost as though they were formed of clouded crystal within which burned a radiance, gentle and subdued. They moved on, past me, continually, floating onward at no great speed, but rather as though they had eternity before them. A great while I watched, and could perceive no end to them. At times I seemed to distinguish faces amid the cloudiness, but strangely indistinct, as though partly real and partly formed of the mistiness through which they showed. For a long time I waited passively, with a sense of growing content. I had no longer that feeling of unutterable loneliness, but felt, rather, that I was less alone than I had been for calpus of years. This feeling of contentment increased, so that I would have been satisfied to float in company with those celestial globules forever. Ages slipped by, and I saw the shadowy faces with increased frequency, also with greater plainness, whether this was due to my soul having become more attuned to its surroundings I cannot tell. Probably it was so, but however this may be, I am assured now only of the fact that I became steadily more conscious of a new mystery about me, telling me that I had, indeed, penetrated within the borderland of some unthought-of region, some subtle, intangible place or form of existence. The enormous stream of luminous spheres continued to pass me at an unvarying rate, countless millions, and still they came, showing no signs of ending, 
nor even diminishing. Then, as I was born, silently upon the unboying ether, I felt a sudden, irresistible forward movement toward one of the passing globes. An instant, and I was beside it. Then I slid through into the interior without experiencing the least resistance of any description. For a short while I could see nothing, and waited curiously. All at once I became aware that a sound broke the inconceivable stillness. It was like the murmur of a great sea at calm, a sea breathing in its sleep. Gradually, the mist that obscured my sight began to thin away, and so, in time, my vision dwelt once again upon the silent surface of the sea of sleep. For a little I gazed and could scarcely believe I saw aright. I glanced round. There was the great globe of pale fire, swimming as I had seen it before, a short distance above the dim horizon. To my left, far across the sea, I discovered presently a faint line, as of thin haze, which I guessed to be the shore, where my love and I had met, during those wonderful periods of soul-wandering that had been granted to me in the old earth days. Another. A troubled memory came to me, of the formless thing that had haunted the shores of the Sea of Sleep, the guardian of that silent, echoless place. These and other details I remembered and knew, without doubt that I was looking out upon that same sea. With the assurance, I was filled with an overwhelming feeling of surprise and joy, and shaken expectancy, conceiving it possible that I was about to see my love again. Intently I gazed around, but could catch no sight of her. At that, for a little, I felt hopeless. Fervently I prayed, and ever peered anxiously. How still was the sea. Down, Far beneath me, I could see the many trails of changeful fire that had drawn my attention formerly. Vaguely, I wondered what caused them. Also, I remembered that I had intended to ask my dear one about them, as well as many other matters, and I had been forced to leave her before the half that I wished to say was said. My thoughts came back with a leap. I was conscious that something had touched me. I turned quickly. God, thou wert indeed gracious. It was she. She looked up into my eyes with an eager longing, and I looked down to her with all my soul. I should like to have held her, but the glorious purity of her face kept me afar. Then, out of the winding mist, she put her dear arms. Her whisper came to me, soft as the rustle of a passing cloud. Dearest, she said. That was all, but I had heard, and 
In a moment I held her to me as I prayed forever. In a little she spoke of many things, and I listened. Willingly would I have done so through all the ages that are to come. At times I whispered back, and my whispers brought to her spirit face once more an indescribably delicate tint. The bloom of love. Later I spoke more freely, and to each word she listened and made answer delightfully, so that already I was in paradise. She and I, and nothing save the silent, spacious void to see us, and only the quiet waters of the sea of sleep to hear us. Long before, the floating multitude of cloud-enfolding spheres had vanished into nothingness. Thus, we looked upon the face of the slumbering deeps, and were alone. Alone, God, I would be thus alone in the hereafter, and yet never be lonely. I had her, and greater than this, she had me. I, Eon aged me, and on this thought, and some others, I hope to exist through the few remaining years that may yet lie between us. 21. The Dark Sun How long our souls lay in the arms of joy, I cannot say. But, all at once, I was waked from my happiness by a diminution of the pale and gentle light that lit the sea of sleep. I turned toward the huge, white orb with a premonition of coming trouble. One side of it was curving inward, as though a convex black shadow was sweeping across it. My memory went back. It was thus that the darkness had come before our last parting. I turned toward my love, inquiringly. With a sudden knowledge of woe, I noticed how wan and unreal she had grown, even in that brief space. Her voice seemed to come to me from a distance. The touch of her hands was no more than the gentle pressure of a summer wind, and grew less perceptible. Already, quite half of the immense globe was shrouded. A feeling of desperation seized me. Was she about to leave me? Would she have to go as she had done before? I questioned her anxiously, frightenedly, and she, nestling closer, explained in that strange, faraway voice that it was imperative she should leave me before, before the sun of darkness, as she termed it, blotted out the light. At this confirmation of my fears, I was overcome with despair, and could only look, voicelessly, across the quiet plains of the silent sea. How swiftly the darkness spread across the face of the white orb. Yet, in reality, the time must have been long, beyond human comprehension. At last, only a crescent of pale fire lit the now dim sea of sleep. All this while she had held me, but 
with so soft a caress that I had been scarcely conscious of it. We waited there together, she and I, speechless for very sorrow. In the dimming light, her face showed, shadowy, blending into the dusky mistiness that encircled us. Then, when a thin, curved line of soft light was all that lit the sea, she released me, pushing me from her tenderly. Her voice sounded in my ears. I may not stay longer, dear one. It ended in a sob. She seemed to float away from me and became invisible. Her voice came to me out of the shadows, faintly, apparently from a great distance. A little while. It died away remotely. In a breath, the sea of sleep darkened into night. Far to my left, I seemed to see for a brief instant a soft glow. It vanished, and, in the same moment, I became aware that I was no longer above the still sea, but once more suspended in infinite space, with the green sun now eclipsed by a vast, dark sphere before me. Utterly bewildered, I stared, almost unseeingly, at the ring of green flames leaping above the dark edge. Even in the chaos of my thoughts, I wondered, dully at their extraordinary shapes. A multitude of questions assailed me. I thought more of her I had so lately seen than of the sight before me. My grief and thoughts of the future filled me. Was I doomed to be separated from her, always? Even in the old earth days, she had been mine only for a little while. Then she had left me, as I thought, forever. Since then, I had seen her but these times, upon the sea of sleep. A feeling of fierce resentment filled me, and miserable questionings. Why could I not have gone with my love? What reason to keep us apart? Why had I to wait alone while she slumbered through the years on the still bosom of the sea of sleep? the sea of sleep. My thoughts turned, inconsequentially, out of their channel of bitterness to fresh, desperate questionings. Where was it? Where was it? I seemed to have but just parted from my love upon its quiet surface, and it had gone, utterly. I could not be far away, and the white orb which I had seen hidden in the shadow of the Sun of Darkness... My sight dwelt upon the green sun, eclipsed. What had eclipsed it? Was there a vast, dead star circling it? Was the central sun, as I had come to regard it, a double star? The thought had come almost unbidden. Yet, why should it not be so? My thoughts went back to the white orb. Strange that it should have been... I stopped. An idea had come, suddenly. The white orb and the green sun. Were they one and the same? My imagination wandered backward, and I remembered the luminous globe to which I had been so unaccountably attracted. 
It was curious that I should have forgotten it, even momentarily. Where were the others? I reverted again to the globe I had entered. I thought for a time, and matters became clearer. I conceived that, by entering that impalpable globule, I had passed at once into some further and, until then, invisible dimension. There, the green sun was still visible, but as a stupendous sphere of pale white light, almost as though its ghost showed, and not its material part. A long time I mused on the subject. I remembered how, on entering the sphere, I had immediately lost all sight of the others. For a still further period, I continued to revolve the different details in my mind. In a while, my thoughts turned to other things. I came more into the present, and began to look about me seeingly. For the first time, I perceived that innumerable rays of a subtle violet hue pierced the strange semi-darkness in all directions. They radiated from the fiery rim of the green sun. They seemed to grow upon my vision, so that, in a little, I saw that they were countless. The night was filled with them, spreading outward from the green sun fanwise. I concluded that I was enabled to see them by reason of the sun's glory being cut off by the eclipse. They reached right out into space and vanished. Gradually, as I looked, I became aware that fine points of intensely brilliant light traversed the rays. Many of them seemed to travel from the green sun into distance. Others came out of the void toward the sun, but one and all, each kept strictly to the ray in which it traveled. Their speed was inconceivably great, and it was only when they neared the green sun, or as they left it, that I could see them as separate specks of light. Further from the sun, they became thin lines of vivid fire within the violet. The discovery of these rays, and the moving sparks, interested me extraordinarily. To where did they land in such countless profusion? I thought of the worlds in space, and those sparks, messengers possibly, the idea was fantastic, but I was not conscious of its being so. Messengers, messengers from the central sun. An idea evolved itself, slowly. Was the green sun the abode of some vast intelligence? The thought was bewildering. Visions of the unnameable rose vaguely. Had I, indeed, come upon the dwelling place of the eternal? For a time I repelled the thought dumbly. It was too stupendous. Yet, huge, vague thoughts had birth within me. I felt, suddenly, terribly naked, and an awful nearness shook me. And heaven, was that an illusion? My thoughts came and went erratically. The sea of sleep, and she, heaven, 
I came back with a bound to the present. Somewhere, out of the void behind me, there rushed an immense, dark body, huge and silent. It was a dead star, hurling onward to the burying place of the stars. It drove between me and the central suns, blotting them out from my visions and plunging me into an impenetrable night. An age, and I saw again the violet rays. A great while later, eons it must have been, a circular glow grew in the sky ahead, and I saw the edge of the receding star show darkly against it. Thus I knew that it was nearing the central suns. Presently, I saw the bright ring of the green sun show plainly against the night, the star had passed into the shadow of the dead sun. After that, I just waited. The strange years went slowly, and ever I watched, intently. The thing I had expected came at last, suddenly, awfully. A vast flare of dazzled light a streaming burst of white flame across the dark void. For an indefinite while, it soared outward, a giant mushroom of fire. It ceased to grow. Then, as time went by, it began to sink backward slowly. I saw now that it came from a huge glowing spot near the center of the dark sun. Mighty flames still soared outward from this. Yet, spite of its size, the grave of the star was no more than the shining of Jupiter upon the face of an ocean, when compared with the inconceivable mass of the dead sun. I may remark here once more that no words will ever convey to the imagination the enormous bulk of the two central suns. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bominable Bominations and our continuation of The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson. Tune in next week for another exciting episode. By the way, if you have any queries, questions or comments, feel free to contact me, Thomas, at T-U-O-M-A-S-V-A at Outlook.com You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and on YouTube under its title. Bye for now.